Welcome back, uh, all you cool cats and kittens, for another episode of Lindale Station. Uh, you're in for a sweet treat today as we jump into what is probably one of the most favorite things here in the South, and uh, it kind of you know, it, it takes over a significant part of our weekends during the fall. Yep, it's gardening. Yeah, definitely gardening. We're we're today's podcast is all about roses and petunias. So brought to you by the Lindale Gardener of the Month Club. The we we're also starting the Lindale Gardener of the Month Club. Uh, so <laughs> uh, look for your membership card in the mail. No, actually, uh, we're talking a little bit about some college football and uh, kind of some sports in general. So, uh, banana, banana, go Tigers. Yeah, we have, we got an LSU fan in the house here and we have the greatest college football team there is the university of Georgia Bulldogs, uh, national championships. Don't dictate how amazing we are. We just know that we're better. Mm -hmm. National championships do help though. Helps me get through a two and three season. Just the weight of that ring on my finger. Just kidding. They didn't give me a ring. Uh, so as we, we look in today, uh, just go ahead and think to yourself, you know, if you're an LSU Tiger, if you're a Georgia Bulldog, I mean, even if you're uh, one of those Alabama Roll Tides, whatever a Roll Tide might happen to be, uh, we, we still love you and uh, that all of this is coming uh, from a place of love and not a place of hatred, unless you're a Georgia Tech and no one likes them. Um, so, uh, let's kind of just jump right into this. So, Alan, when did you know that you were going to be, uh, an LSU Tiger fan? Hmm. So, Louisiana, being a Louisiana football fan in general, um, can seem over the last 15 years or so, like it's been pretty fun. Starting in 2006, after Hurricane Katrina with the Saints, making their run to the NFC Championship game and all the success that we've had with Sean Payton and Drew Brees um, has been great. And then LSU is their run of um, three national championships and four appearances in the last 17 years. It's pretty good. Um, second only to the Alabama Crimson Tide during that span. So um, pretty good success. However, I grew up in the 90s when neither team – um, was very desirable. I grew up watching the Aints back when Saints fans would put the plastic, um, not the plastic bags. That would <laughs> that's a suffocation hazard. They would put the paper bags over their head. Um, and I grew up watching um, losing seasons in the '90s for LSU. Um, I just have lots of memories of thinking we were going to win and then kind of realizing, oh, it's the Saints or, oh, it's LSU and how are we going to mess this up? Um, and that all changed when Nicholas Saban came down to Baton Rouge and we won a national championship in 2003. And I remember watching that game. Uh, I remember it being a huge deal. I remember the jubilation in the Goodwin household when LSU won. And around that time, I don't I guess it would probably be the early 2000s. I just went full-fledged into LSU and the Saints. Um, my favorite LSU player was Glenn Dorsey, an All-American defensive lineman in 2007. Still, I think, one of the best defensive linemen in college football history. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. It runs really deep. 
Runs really deep in my family. I can't help but think when you you were talking about Nicholas Saban coming down to LSU, um, you know they, they wrote a song about that. Yeah, it's uh, he came and visited our state, and they wrote it. It's called "The Devil Went Down to Georgia." No, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like, man, having the the I guess the devotion to a single state's NFL team and college team, like, is there any? There's not really an in-state rival for LSU. No, none. There used to be Tulane, but Tulane is similar. What's a what's a roll tide? What is a green wave? Not really sure. Um, yeah. So it's, I kind of I, I kind of feel you on that one. Uh, yeah, I graduated from the University of Georgia, and have not always been a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, my grandparents are South Carolina alumni. I had some folks that went to. Tennessee. I've got a cousin who goes to Oklahoma. I've got good friends that are at A and M. I have an aunt who graduated from Ole Miss. Like, I pretty much feel like every like SEC school is represented in my family. And when I grew up, where I was at, um, I remember the very first SEC football game I watched uh, was Vanderbilt versus someone else, um, and it was so not memorable. The only reason I remember is Vanderbilt because I couldn't pronounce Vanderbilt mm-hmm. um, and thought it was like a French team. So there's that. Um, but I grew up like 25, 30 minutes from Auburn. And uh, I wore that tacky orange and blue uh, all through high school. It's definitely better than the Florida orange and blue, though. I, honestly, I think just orange in general is just, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit anywhere in a clothing pattern. It's kind of like a, the blind side. I don't wear that, that ugly orange or that tacky orange. But uh, yeah, when uh, schools time came around with high school to figure out where I'm going to go to college uh, applied to several different schools and just through different life choices and ended up going to the the fine establishment of the University of Georgia and you, know, you can't really exactly be an Auburn fan or any other fan on Georgia's campus uh, except for a Georgia fan uh, if you plan on actually graduating and getting mm-hmm. out of there alive um, it's kind of a little scary I know that there are folks uh, we here at our church and here in this community that live and eat and breathe Georgia football. Um, so much to the fact that like their entire weekend can be made just by football. I mean, you talked about having good seasons and bad seasons. What is a, you, you mentioned your favorite player, maybe like the go-to memory. What's your favorite LSU memory that comes to mind? Probably my favorite LSU memory. Um, my so my second favorite player would be Joe Burrow, and as the years go on, and just man, as 2019 just seems so so much sweeter and sweeter as it ages, like a fine grape juice. Um, I think I'm going to look more and more fondly back on old Joseph Burrow. Um, and I was at his first ever start, LSU versus Miami in Jerry World in Dallas. And no one had any clue whether or not we were going to be any good at all. No one had any clue whether this guy who the narrative at the time was he couldn't play at Ohio State. He got beat out by a freshman. What makes you think he'll be able to play here in the big bad SEC? Miami had this top 10 defense, the turnover chain. It was that, it was that Miami. 
And he came out, and he didn't throw for 400 yards like he does every week now. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. Even the NFL throwing for over 300 yards a game. But he came out and just picked them apart. And I think probably what makes it so sweet is we sat in Jerry World, the only LSU fans, in just a sea of Miami Hurricane fans. And it was probably the most fun I've ever had at a sporting event ever. Yeah, the uh, I love you call it Jerry World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old Dallas there, and uh, but yeah, I mean, man, Joe Burrow, what a season he! I mean, the Tigers had a phenomenal season. I I feel like that is the most impressive resume yeah. that you'll ever see. Like. I'm th- I'm thinking of what I remember watching in college sports. Like, they were, like, there's the Thomas the Tank Engine type of bulldozing, and there's, like, Freight Train, and mm-hmm. they went straight Freight Train on everybody they played. They won each game in the playoffs, their playoff game and the um, championship game um, by a combined margin of, like, 65 points or something like that, which is... Nuts. It's um, more points than Vanderbilt got all season. It's exactly right. Um, I think the the thing is there might have been better teams. There might have been better teams before, but no one had the resume. Because there might have been better teams. There might have been better Alabama teams in the last 10 years or so, but none of them played the teams that LSU did. Um, none of them beat the entire preseason top five by a combined score of 21, uh, <laughs> a average differential of 21 points a game. Like, no one's done that, and no one probably will do that. The stars just align for them not only to be the best team ever, but to also have the best resume ever. Go Tigers. Yeah. Like I was saying, that this weekend is, is Georgia, Florida, and traditionally it falls on Halloween weekend. And uh, through this year, I don't know why, it's a little bit strange. Uh, I think this thing called COVID has led to schedule move-arounds and – uh, different bye weeks and how it all works out. but uh, So Georgia-Florida is now this weekend, and my freshman year of college, uh, participating in the Baptist Collegiate Ministries, we do a our biggest missions fundraiser every year. is called Ride for Christ, um, and it's 300 miles in 30 hours. And it's like, cool, we're, we're riding 300 miles. Um, but it wasn't by car. It was by bicycle. So it's it's kind of like a Relay for Life-esque where you try and get people to sponsor you and uh, you say, hey, I'm going to ride 100 miles if you give me $100 to put toward um, a Send Me Now mission trip for the summer or for spring break and how it all works. And I did, without any type of like cycling training, um, I bought uh, these special bicycle pants that have like a pad in the butt. Um, that's about it. And like a special water bottle. And I did it on my mountain bike. But 180 of the 300 miles my freshman year, and I was dog-tired. Like, I take a, took a small break middle of the night when I just couldn't keep going and then finished off the rest of the way. But uh, I remember when we crossed that line into Jacksonville, Florida, um, I had the like rubber leg feeling, and it was such a good feeling because I knew what was to come that Saturday when we actually went to the game. So like part of the the whole trip was we didn't just go down there to tailgate or have a barbecue or go eat gator tail at a restaurant. Uh, It was to actually go to the game. And 
the tickets we got were like scattered throughout the whole stadium. Like we didn't sit as a whole crew. We took like 45, 50 people. But when it was all said and done, my seat was seven rows back from the end zone and right next to the Georgia Redcoat band. So the environment and it was just so hype. And like then they're scoring touchdowns. I'm seven rows away from the field. Like you could almost be in the splash zone of the sweat of the players. Um, Gross. Yeah. Needless to say, Georgia lost that year, so wasn't the best memory for football. But like the whole experience was. It's there. It's probably because you stopped in the middle of the night. It, well, if I had done 300 miles, if I had done my job, then they would have done their job on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean it's. It's moments like that, like you, you have the Joseph Burrow and that amazing season, and like picturing everything at Jerry World and uh, everything down there at the stadium that the Jacksonville Jaguars play in. Like all of those are so surreal. Like we can remember that. We love telling those stories, um, and that kind of got me thinking: how much effort and how much we put into loving college football or even sports in itself um it kind of takes over our weekend uh this coming weekend the our men's ministry is going on a fishing trip and i was kind of hesitant at first about even going because uh, i wasn't going to go to a ministry event because i had to stay home and watch georgia football um and that type of mentality at the end of the day when i sit down to think about it like that's it's very sour Um, i don't know about you alan uh, if you would be willing to like skip church for an LSU game, uh, but for me, like when I start putting it into that perspective, like I kind of felt like sick, like sick yeah. to my stomach. Um. So with that, uh, kind of just researching and looking up different things that American society has has created as barriers for the church. Um, we've almost made college football and sports an idol. Um, I think about in scripture when we have folks that are worshiping sun gods and like we have Baal and they're turning to him instead of the one true God. Um, And so we have to ask ourselves, what is those barriers in today's church? And what are the primary idols that need to be torn down for us to continue to, to grow and even revive where we are in church? Like, What's preventing us most as Christians from total devotion to Christ? Um, So I got to thinking like things in our lives that we kind of use to hinder our worship. Uh, Sometimes we might think it could be our jobs. uh, It could be our possessions we have. Uh, It's very easy to put it off on uh, other addictions. It can be very easy for us to put it off on our family and say that we're just too stressed out, like putting things on our jobs and our our hobbies and our children, all of these together um, don't impact as much as what I feel and have seen even in the 21st century as American sports. Um, it kind of surprised me. And it, it's a solid reminder of the first commandment where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And knowing that a false god is anyone or anything that becomes more important to us than God himself. Our God is whatever we love with our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind. And that doesn't always mean that a false God is, is evil. 
it doesn't have to be evil, but it's something that we make more important to us. So um, right now, as you're listening to this, I don't want you to just kind of start thinking, what are some of those false gods we put? I know that um, Eric's had this great sermon series where he's been talking about social media and with everything happening in the world that it's very easy for us to come across other false gods, other things that we're idolizing. Uh, so I just want to take note on how many people uh, their consuming passion has become for their athletic teams. Uh, we proudly wear our, our colors and our logos. We put bumper stickers on our cars. We brag to other people about our team's accomplishments. I mean, we're not the ones on the field taking the snaps and taking the hits, but Man, when Georgia wins, I like to say, yep, my team won. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do all this at the risk of alienating and kind of putting aside rival teams, like putting aside fans. And we're so fast to just effectively judge them and be like, hey, your team's awful. Um, but at the same time, these are the same people that we're reluctant to share our faith with just because we don't want to offend somebody. Um we memorize statistics and we hunger for more information about all of our favorite players to the point that we, we put them up on a pedestal where uh, I remember like ESPN reporters that I would hear Joe Burrow this, Trevor Lawrence that, uh, Justin Fields this. Like We have so many folks that their names are spoken so often and we hear their names even at church, sometimes said more times than we hear Jesus is our Lord. And so when we look at those favorite players to a point of idolizing them, and then we kind of get bored of studying the Bible. I remember my mom, she would tell me that when you go off to college, like don't drink and don't do drugs and be sure you're getting good night's sleep and you're studying. Like she was so afraid to losing me to all these other worldly things. But then I also remember I was able to skip church to go play soccer games when I was in middle school and high school and that wasn't ever a concern and it's great for the family, but they've elected to to skip out on Sunday morning. Um, Is that something you've seen through your time in ministry, Alan? Yeah, I remember, um, I tell people even 10 years ago, um, we didn't have to, there wasn't a thing that anyone had to worry about, about say Wednesday nights, for example, no one had to worry about whether or not there were going to be school events on a Wednesday night when they planned an event. Um, because schools, it seemed like even in even just in 10 years, there's been this change to where 10 years ago, there wasn't going to be football practice late on Wednesdays. There weren't going to be games for basketball on Wednesday nights. There weren't going to be any traveling. There wasn't going to be anything like that. Um, but the world's very different now, already in just 10 short years. Um, and I think what we want to be careful with is like, we're not like being critical of like making commitments. Like when we're like, we, we make commitments to things and, and I, and I do love when students honor commitments, but if your commitment to anything, um, causes you to, to negate your commitment to Christ, th- that, that can be a problem. Um, and so that's been definitely a thing that I've noticed now that now, the conversation has shifted to, okay, what do we need to do instead of Wednesdays? Because we can't get anybody here. Um, and in some ways, that's just the way the world has changed as a whole. 
Um, but I do think that it's important for us as believers to look at, to take a look at everything around us and, and realize that just because the world around us is changing at this level doesn't mean that we have to. Just because travel baseball, which used to not be on Sundays, now is, I just think we, we need to be careful because ultimately um, we'll give an account for every decision that we made. And I can just see that in my own life and making it really personal to myself. I'll stand before the Lord one day and I'll have to give an account for even, even the times on Sundays during church when I'm checking scores for the games that started at 12 instead of paying attention to the last however much of the sermon. Um, and it's just very sobering to see that that's it's like a hidden idol in a lot of our lives. The, uh, I want to say it was mid-90s, uh, the NFL uh, coined a slogan, We Own Sundays. And uh, it's a very scary thought to think that uh, corporate America with sports uh, can easily claim that. And it's very easy for us to say, no, 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 Sunday is for the family and Sunday is for church. And then just seeing the amount of turnout and how it is, like, uh, knowing that we as Christians need the gospel more than football, we need the gospel more than sports. Uh, there's not a, there's no amount of physical discipline on a football field that can replace the spiritual discipline of the deep-rooted gospel. There's nothing that can replace the discipleship. There's nothing that can replace the teaching and the preaching. There's no amount of physical perseverance in life that can replace a need for spiritual perseverance in the gospel. So it's our prayer for you and for anyone listening that we make the gospel-focused decision as we approach this upcoming weekend, as we approach other sports stuff. Um, I kind of go back to think uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, even in 1863, a long time ago, um, he said, O ye sons of men, think not that God is blind. He can perceive the idols in your hearts. He understands what be the secret things that your soul lusts after. He searches your heart. He tries your reins. And beware lest he find you sacrificing to strange gods. For his anger will smoke against you, and his jealousy will be stirred. O ye that worship not God, the God of Israel, who give him not dominion over your whole soul, and live not to his honor, repent ye of your idolatry. Seek mercy through the blood of Jesus, and provoke not the Lord to jealousy anymore. If we had to sum that up in 2020 phrasing, you know, it's great when our, our sports team wins. But even when they lose, or even when we focus on it, we can't let that dictate our day, our weekend, our life, our spiritual focus. If we're putting something more than God, then we're failing. Uh, spiritual revival is, is going to come to the church. And Christians have to remember what matters most, and we have to rid our lives of things that matter more than the one true God. Matthew six thirty three, Jesus put it very clearly. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We have to remember to seek first the love of God. We have to seek first the devotion to put toward him, our one true Savior, because all other things don't matter without him. Any last thoughts, Alan? I think the only thing that I can think is that um, this is uh, has an opportunity to be a really like a toe stepper. Yeah. Um, and even for us, like we're being kind of open and candid about our own ways that we struggle um, with at times being more devoted in our fanship to a team than in our um, devotion of our lives to Jesus. Um, and our hope is that anytime we look at truth from Scripture that there would be the Holy Spirit would use that, that he would convict us and he would show us things and um, we would all walk in, in obedience to those things. But um, what we're not telling everyone to do is to say, hey, we're going to start pulling our kids from every sport. We're going to start making all these decisions. And um, we're going to do all this because our family ministers at at FBC Lindell told us to. Um, our encouragement would be, in our, and or at least in, in my case, my hope and my encouragement would be um, that we would take, just as Scripture calls us to take every thought captive, we would also take every action that we do captive. And then everything would be evaluated. And that we wouldn't have spots of our life that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to speak into. So we can't just say that we want to be godly at church. It needs to be in our life, right? We can't just say that we want to honor certain things or certain commitments and then leave others and say, well, I'm not really comfortable with, you know, the Scripture speaking into this. So if you're listening to this and you might be a coach, you might be a parent of one of these players, you might be anything like that, um, we're not telling you to quit your job <laughs> or to pull your kids. That's not what we're telling you to do. Because I think there needs to be godly influences on the field and on teams and, and, and during those those times. However, um, your devotion to Christ, if you are a believer, um, is paramount. And it does not leave just when a game's on. It does not leave just when your favorite team's playing. Um, your devotion to Christ uh, does not take a back seat whenever there's a tournament for a child. Um, our devotion to Christ is the most important thing. Now, how that flushes out in your own life, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. We are simply messengers saying, hey, here's some truth. Here's some ways that we can see that we can uh, walk in idolatry if we're not careful. Now it's up to the Holy Spirit to do in you what he's going to do. We just ask that you would allow him to and that you would not say there are spots in my life that I'm comfortable with the Holy Spirit speaking towards idolatry, but don't you dare talk about this. So if we stepped on toes this morning, maybe that's a good thing. We need to allow every single part of our life, um, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to speak into that. Well put, well put. Well, guys, we love you. We're praying for you, and uh, we're here for you whenever you need. Um, this is Ashton and Alan. We're signing off with a Go Tigers, a Go Dogs, but first and foremost, Go Jesus. See ya. Go Jesus.